so it's just good to be with you guys. And I know you don't know me, but hopefully you get to know me a little bit. My name is Jarrett Stevens, and I, I live in Atlanta right now, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, perhaps you've heard of it. I'm from Chicago. That's kind of, thank you very much. Chicago's more home for me, so every now and then you'll hear me talk about Gad, or, you know, we can pray to Gad, get in our car. You know, like, it, there's some of those things that kind of come out every now and then. That's all right. That's okay, because I've added y'all to that sort of vernacular. So it makes for a very confusing, our son is very confused about what language to speak in the house. Um, but I just want to like, you know, just a snapshot of who I am, because we're going to be here for the next two weeks, talk about some pretty big stuff, very fresh stuff for me, very new stuff for me, uh, in kind of organizing these thoughts. But before we get into that, I want to let you know sort of the team that I come from and, and, and where I'm coming from. Uh, I've been married now for uh, over 12 years. My wife, Jean, and I have been married for 12 years, which is pretty astonishing when you think about it. Uh, well, we got married when we were 13, so that explains why. That's why I look so young. I just, so you understand, because it's in the South, and you can do that in the South. They just, no, they just want to know how you're related, so it's just, uh, what? All right, so uh, anyway, the point is, we've been married for 12 years, and we have two kids, two just ridiculous kids, Elijah, who's three, and then Gigi, our girl, Genevieve Grace, we call her Gigi. I have a picture of a couple pictures, because really, you can't stop me. I'm going to show you pictures. That's our son, Elijah, with his shirt off. His clothes are often off. Uh, in fact, one of the great traditions at night is his favorite thing is when we're, when we're moving from clothes to PJs is we have the pants off dance off. And he's like, <laughs> he just gets buck naked and buck wild at the same time. So that's a lot. And I'm not saying he's the only one. Um, so that's, that's Elijah. And that's his little new sister, Gigi, who he just adores. I don't, I don't, we'll go jump to whatever's next. That's my wife, Jeannie, just kissing Gigi, and she is all about touch and kissing, and may, or she's doing mouth-to-mouth. I'm not exactly sure what's happening in that picture, but <laughs> something significant is happening. And then I think in the same, like right behind them is Elijah, I think the next picture, who's obsessed with his John Deere and just such, I know, that's why I do these at the beginning. So if I totally suck over the next 30 minutes, at least you'll remember the guy has cute kids and a beautiful and wonderful wife. So... Yeah, that's Elijah. He loves his little John Deere tractor. He's a trip. He's absolutely hilarious. Uh, we, we just, we're just in over our heads and loving life and every day feel absolutely out of control and totally dependent on God when it comes to continuing to grow our marriage and fall more in love with each other and trying to raise kids and it's just craziness and, and we love it. We absolutely love that kind of beautiful mess that we're in the middle of. Uh, this is a very unique time for us to be together because we stand really honestly in uh, historic next three weeks or so, two or three weeks. You know that. I mean, just in a couple weeks will be election day. And in fact, I think you guys are gathered on election day. So there may be great celebration or uh, great sadness. Either way, drinking may be involved. Um, <laughs> and so, like, this is a very significant time. And this is a very, uh, in your lifetime, this is hands down undeniably the most important election of your lifetime. This is the most significant election of your lifetime. And our country is in the worst place it's been in your lifetime. And so we gather together in a place like this, at a time like this, at a very unique season in your life and in our country's history. There's been no time quite like this time. It's incredibly significant. And as we get closer and closer to election day, we hear more and more and more of the same thing. And it's what's been so amazing in such a historic and dynamic election, an important election, it's amazing to me how much the messages kind of sound the same. I mean, they all kind of blur together, and they're essentially saying the same thing uh, just when they're not attacking each other. You kind of hear the same message. And the one over and over and over again that I keep hearing is about the middle class. 
right? We talk about that a lot. We're just like, middle class, middle class, we got to fight for the middle class, we got to get, you know, back to the middle class, the middle class need to have, we got to do, and I'm, I'm in the middle class. I'm okay with that. I'm all for whatever you want to do to make my life better. Go for it. If you want to, you know, cut my taxes, raise my taxes, I don't care. Whatever you got to do to do it right. So that's all we seem to talk about. We hear so much about the middle class, middle class, we hear, and, and, and Joe the plumber. We hear a lot about Joe the plumber. I think he's in the middle class somewhere. I'm not exactly sure, but now he's going to be in a history book because he's Joe the plumber, and now we're going to remember him for history now for all times. Your children will read about Joe the plumber and how significant he is to American history. So all this talk about the middle class, right, which, you know, we would kind of, maybe most of us in this room would sort of associate ourselves with. The thing that we don't really have, and you haven't heard much about in this election, we don't really have a national dialogue about, which is really interesting to me in the most significant election of your lifetime, no one's really talking extensively about the other two extremes outside of the middle class which would be the rich and the poor. There's just not a presidential or a national dialogue, or at least a healthy dialogue, about the rich and the poor. No one's really talking about them. Isn't it interesting? In all the debates and all that you've seen, you'll hear maybe the rich mentioned because we, we got to get our money back from them or whatever. They took all our money. No, at least in every debate that I've watched, there's been no mention of the poorest of the poor in our country. We just talk about the middle so much. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about and consider those two extremes, the rich and the poor. Because interestingly enough, while our presidential candidates in our country isn't talking about them, the Bible has a ton to say about them and to them. The Bible has a ton to say about the rich and about the poor, and it has a, a ton to say to the rich and to the poor, all throughout these pages. You see that talked a lot more than the middle class. God doesn't really reference the middle class and like, blessed are the middle class. That never really gets said in the Bible. So you hear a lot, though, about the rich and the poor, the two extremes. So we're going to talk about that and consider kind of where we're at in the midst of that. What is it that God wants to say about and to the rich and to the poor? And when it comes to this week, what we're going to look at is specifically the rich. What does God have to say about and to the rich. Now, in our country right now, uh, do we have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of the rich? If you had to just say it out loud right now. Yeah, okay, we'll do, we'll do a silent vote. Thumbs up for the rich or thumbs down for the rich right now? Yeah, it's kind of thumbs down for the rich right now. If we could do off with our head, we would do that as well. Like, it's just there's not a lot of love for the rich right now, right? The super crazy rich, you know, like we do have a little bit of, they, they make it on the radar screen every now and then, and it's usually when people want to raid their gates and destroy their Rolls Royce and, you know, storm the palace of the rich. That's kind of the only healthy dialogue, well, I wouldn't call that healthy. That's the only dialogue we have in our country about the rich right now. So we have opinions about the rich, and these are, these are trying times for all of us. I mean, you know, Diddy is having to fly first class now. My, I'm, I pray for him for that, because that's hard. He's got to give up the jet. So it's hard for the rich too, you guys. You can't just throw them all under the bus. It is, it's difficult. It's difficult to be rich in these trying economic times. And so, like, we have our opinions about the rich, right? We do. Like, if we're just being honest, we have our opinions about the rich and our thoughts and ideas about the rich. And the Bible isn't short on things to say about the rich and to the rich. There's no, like, shortage of wisdom throughout the Scriptures on what it means to be rich and what you should do if you are 
rich. And so we've, you've maybe heard those verses or read those verses. We've talked about those verses here, right? I mean, you kind of know the situation of the rich young ruler. Are you familiar with that story? This is a guy, I mean, they even call, like he's called rich. He's the rich young ruler. Like no one really like wears that. Well, like Trump probably and Diddy would wear that on their sleeve. Like I'm the rich, you know, mogul, whatever. This guy was called in the Bible, the rich young ruler. And you know the story. He comes to Jesus and he's done everything right. He's successful. He's done well in life. My hunch is he's probably totally hot, white, like handsome, like got it all together. He's wearing like whatever jeans, you know, like tight robe or whatever. I don't know what he's wearing in those days, like whatever, right? And so he comes to Jesus, he got it all together. And Jesus says, look, you know, he's like, I've done it all. What does it mean to follow you? And Jesus is like, well, look, there's only one thing left. Just sell, sell your stuff, rich young ruler, become the poor young ruler, and, and follow me. Give it all to the poor and come and follow me. Do you know the story? What happens? He hangs his head and he walks away, right? He can't do it. And Jesus says these words. It's like, here's the situation. Like, you saw what just happened there. It's easier, like, it's, it's it, like, it easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to get into heaven. And there's all kinds of theologians that have tried to unpack that. But you get the basic point. Like, Jesus is saying, if you're rich, it's hard to get rid of your stuff to get rid of your stuff and to follow God. And the disciples say, well, then who can be saved? Like, you know, they're like, we thought we would maybe be rich. Like, who can be saved then? And, and Jesus says, look, anything can happen by God's power. Anything can happen. So it's possible for the rich to follow God. It's just difficult. And you see warning and warning in the, in the book of Proverbs. There's warning after warning after warning for the rich. And what happens to the rich when they become arrogant? What happens to the rich when they stop caring for the poor? What happens for the rich when they put their faith in their things? And you see again, Jesus talks about that. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where, you know, like moths and rust and thieves come in and steal and destroy stuff. No, that's not where it's at, right? So we kind of get the messages in the Bible about the rich, right? We kind of know that for them, like there's some heat in here. Like, there's some stuff they need to pay attention to, because there's some pretty intense warning and instruction and challenge and some encouragement for those who fall into the camp of, of being rich. And so we kind of read those, and I've read those, and I'm like, yeah, totally. Like, look, those rich dudes need that. Like, sh they should read this. I should put it in a gold Bible and give it to them, right? Because they need to hear about how important this is, right? And so we have our thoughts and opinions about that, and we kind of read those things and skip right over them and go, because that's, that's for the rich, and we assume in the process, you know, that's, that's for them because they're out there somewhere and I'm not part of them. <laughs> they're rich and I'm not is basically what we've come to. And so just to kind of help us have a healthy dialogue about considering the rich and what it means to be rich, I would love for you to do this. I want you to think of a number in your head of what is rich. Like when do you, because that's what's so funny. It's a moving target. Rich is like a moving target. It's always just a moving target. So ever, someone just keeps moving the goalpost of rich. But if you are in your head, I want you to think of a concrete number. Like if you had, the, what's the bottom line? Like if you, once you cross over this amount, then you would be rich. All right? I want you to take like 10 seconds in your head to get a number. Like if you had this much money, you go, yeah, I, then I would be rich. That, at that point, I would be rich. All right? Do you have that number? I want you to think about that. This is not a magic trip. I'm not David Blaine. I'm not going to do anything like that and guess it. Uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about that number what line you would cross, and then all of a sudden you become rich. And here's what I want you to turn to the person next to you. So everyone has to talk to someone on this. So you're going to need to scoot in. You're going to need to, like, pop a breath mint real quick. You're going to need to do whatever you have to do 
to talk to the person next to you. And introverts right now, you just, you started panicking. You pulled out a brown bag, you're breathing, you've got the cold sweats. It's okay, it'll be over in 60 seconds, I promise you, okay, I promise you. Hang with me. Extroverts, be disciplined. Introverts, be bold, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Think of that number, and I want you to turn to the person next to you and say what the number is, and here's one thing I would do if I had that kind of money. Because we've all got our dreams of what we would do if we had that kind of money. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about that number. I want you to turn to the person next to you and very quickly say that number and then what's one thing you do if you had that much money. All right, does that make sense? We're doing this for like 68 seconds. I'll give you a little bit of time, but you got to scoot and you got to get started right now. When I say stop, you got to stop. All right, ready? Go. All right. You're going to wrap it up? All right, we all have a number in our head somewhere. Maybe you've never had to name it before, but all of us probably have some line that we think of like, okay, if like Publishers Clearinghouse were to show up on my doorstep with this number on the giant check, I, then I would be rich, right? So all these things the Bible has to say, then that, those would apply to me because that's when I would cross over the line. And we all have kind of our dreams of what we would do if we had that kind of money, wherever the line is for you. Uh, I remember when, when Jean and I got married, we were, uh, we were like po, like we couldn't even afford the, the R at the end of the word poor. We just had literally nothing because she had just finished school and I was still finishing school and she was helping pay for me to finish school. And so our first year of marriage, literally, like we had three pieces of furniture. We had a used kitchen table that we like had bought, like a dinged up kind of kitchen table. We had that. And then we had bought a, a nice bed because like, you know, first year of marriage, that's kind of important. Not necessary, <laughs> not critical. I'm just saying important. It's important. So, so we had that. We had like a nice bed and two dressers and this, and this beat up kitchen table. That's all we had. So four pieces. Honestly, our family, for the first year and a half we were married, our family room furniture in a little tiny second floor apartment we rented was lawn, like wooden farm lawn chairs, like Adirondack kind of chairs, but not comfortable kinds, like splinters. It was an experience when you sat down at our house. No TV, none of that. We, like, we, it was very, very simple. And some of that was a choice. <laughs> some of that was just how it was. It was just reality. And so, you know, when I finally finished school and started working, I was like, okay, now we're going to start to move into whatever that next bracket is, right? Because rich is always a moving target. It's always a moving target. So we're like, all right, now that I'm going to get a job, and I'm, I'm work, we were both working at the same church in Chicago at the time, and she was working full-time. Well, I had just finished school, and so I was just starting out, and I was like, I, they brought me on. I was making like eighth pay. Like, I wasn't even part-time, whatever, like, three times less than part-time is. That's what I was getting paid. I think I worked 30 minutes a week. I think that's all they paid me for. At least that's all they paid me for. It was like, literally, and I would use that as a coffee break. But the point is, like, I admit we had no money, right? But then eventually we got a little bit more, and so we had a choice. Like, we could upgrade the furniture or buy a TV. And so we're like, well, that's obvious buy a TV. And so we, we bought a TV, and I'm not kidding. The couches, we replaced the farm chairs with uh, two couches that we found on the, and I'm not kidding, on the, in front of someone's house, like for the trash. 
and we, we sprayed them or cleaned them or <laughs> Windex or something before we sat on them, but we cleaned them up, and that's what we had. We had these, like, literally on their way to the dump couches that were in our front room, but we had, we had a TV. It was a nice 19-inch uh, RCA. Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful set. And so uh, that's really kind of all we had. And then eventually it was like, well, wouldn't it be great if we could kind of upgrade, you know, from this 1988 Chevy Cavalier that I was driving that had no radio and this all blue interior and smelled like socks all the time. Like, maybe if we made a little bit more money then, we could afford a car. And so that's what we did. We, like, saved up, saved up, saved up, and worked and worked, right? Because we weren't rich. We weren't rich. But if we had a little bit more, and if I got paid a little bit more, then we could sort of start to afford and do some of the things that we've been dreaming about and talking about. So a couple years into our marriage, three or four years into our marriage, we bought our first car. It was a used car. It was, like, four years used. It was a nice 1996 Honda Accord. It was a beautiful, beautiful car, white, gray leather, six-disc CD changer in the trunk, the most convenient place to put your CDs. And so... <laughs> Because, you know, there's nothing like when you're on the freeway, like, I want to listen to something else. And you have to climb out the, like, sunroof to go back to the trunk and, or fold those seats down. It's a Honda. You can fold the back seats down. So anyway, along the way, like, every time. So then we'd get the cars, like, awesome. We have the cars, like, and then the next thing was, yeah, maybe one day we should stop living in apartments. We could buy a house. We could buy a house, right? Because that's what you do when you have more money. That's kind of what you do. And so we saved up, and we bought this little tiny house, and we worked on it and renovated it. And the next thing for us was, all right, we got that. We should probably now get rid of the 88 Honda Prelude because uh, and, and, it fills with water every time it rains. Maybe we can get another car. And so that's just, we just kind of kept building, right? Because the target kept moving. We just thought, okay, if we had a little bit more, then we would be happy. Then we'd be content. If we could make just a little bit more, then we could do it, right? And that's what happens. We we're convinced that if we had a little bit more, then we'll be content. If we had this number of money, whatever you said was rich, if I had that, then I'd be good. Then I can do the things I feel like God has maybe called me to do or that I want to do. But until then, that's a category kind of far away. It's a moving target. And as long as the target keeps moving, then everything the Bible has to say about the rich doesn't apply to us. It doesn't have anything to do with us. And yet at the same time, though, we live in a culture, a very interesting tension in our culture because we live in a culture that convinces you that that's everything you need is right out there in front of you and at the same time cripples you because it's a golden carrot. It just keeps moving further and further ahead. The target keeps moving. And so we, at the same time, desire that lifestyle, whatever that number, whatever that is, but we also kind of secretly despise it because, oh, those people don't know what to do with their money. If I had that kind of money, I would do it differently. Have you ever found yourself saying that? If I had that kind of money, I wouldn't waste it like that. I would do something totally different. If I had that kind of money, I wouldn't, gosh, I wouldn't decorate my house like that or buy a house like that or do that. I would get, first of all, I'd give half of it away to God. And then with what's left, I would buy a sweet ride. Like, I don't know, but you know, you think you look at the way people spend their money and you're just like, my gosh, that's just crazy. This last weekend I was, I was watching TV and I was uh, just really wasting time watching TV. And uh, Cribs was on. It was like the the whips, rides, and wheels, or whatever edition of, like, all the cars, uh, uh, you know, all these ballers, and, and, and all their cars, and, and it's just amazing for me to watch that, because I'm just looking at some of what they, do, they spend their money on. I'm like, God, the rich are so stupid. I think money makes you ignorant. It makes you stupid. Like, the more you get, the dumber you get, because you're looking at what they spend on cars, and I'm like, you're, that's just, why would you need that? It doesn't need to bounce that high. Like, <laughs> The Cavalier did that. I didn't pay anything for that. It just did that. So, like, why would you, you know, you just look at hundreds of thousands of dollars. This was just on cars. And I'm watching going, really, you need that much sound coming out of your car. And so, at the same time, I kind of despise them. But if I'm being really honest, I desire that, don't I? 
I desire that. I look at how they wasted their money just on cars. You know, I walked out to my 96 Honda Accord, and I just slapped it. I said, you <laughs> failed me. Then I walked back in and watched the rest of it. You know, it's like, because it's that tension, right, that we live in. We look at the rich, and we go, oh, they waste their money. They don't know what to do with it. If I had that kind of money, then I would dot, 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 whatever it may be for you. I don't know what number you came up with, but a few years back, Gallup poll, the Gallup organization, went around asking Americans that same question, like, okay, what is rich, right? What is this category that none of us think we fit into and belong in? What is rich? So they went around and asked everyone. It was really amazing because they asked people who made less than $30,000 what they thought rich was, and they said, oh, it kind of came roughly to $50,000. If I made $50,000, I would be loaded. I would be so, if I made 50, I would be so rich, right? And then they asked people right around there, like around 50, $60,000, what is rich to you? Oh, if I made $120,000, that would be it. I would be so rich, right? And so they kept noticing that like every category they went to, so they finally went to the top income earners, you know, that they could pull, these really big, high roller, kind of very wealthy people by our standards, and said, okay, what is it to be rich? And so they all kind of came back with this number, that if they had $5 million in assets, that's rich. That's rich enough because that would generate somewhere around $200,000, $250,000 a year sort of, you know, in interest or whatever as you kind of get return on that in those investments. If we had $5 million, that would be it. So they're like, well, that's insane. Like, I think I'll be like, I'll take the hundred and twenty. Like, that's great. I'll totally take that. So they went back and they asked, you know, they tried to find a median, like, what's the real number, like, according to the broadest scope of Americans? And they came up with the number $120,000. But $120,000 is what the average American considers rich. Now, I don't know if you fall into that category or not. Uh, if you do, you're probably not going to raise your hand because, like, people want to go out to dinner with you afterwards and uh, <laughs> have you pay. And, and David's going to come when they pass the offering around and just stand in front of you the whole time and just, <laughs> just kinda, you know, keep looking at you. And, all right, so that's, like, kind of the number they came up with, $120,000. If you got that, then you're rich, then you're in. And so I think if we were to be really honest, we'd go, well, I don't, maybe that's you, maybe that's not. That's what our culture and our country says is rich. And my hunch is probably most of us in this room don't fall into that category. So you hear that number and you go, okay, well, that's great. That's them. Maybe you do, and you, like I said, you don't want to mention that, but that's them, and so this doesn't apply to me. But that's just our country. See, if you were to step outside of our country and look at, average incomes around the world annually and compare that to what you make, the story really actually changes quite a bit. If you make uh, $34,000 a year, so if you make $34,000 or more, you fall into the top 4% of the wealthiest people in the world. So if you make, and I'm talking to school teachers, if you make $34,000 <laughs> You're in the top 4% of the wealthiest people in the world. You're just a couple percentage points away from Bill Gates. You're a couple percentage points away. You're not that far. That's $34,000. If you make over $50,000, you're in the top 2% of the world's wealth. Top 2%. 
$50,000. That's not even half of what our country considers rich. But according to the world we live in, you're super rich. You're within the top 5%. Some of us in this room are within the top 2% of the world's wealth. 98% of our planet makes less than you do a year. How you feeling now? It's interesting, isn't it? We keep moving the target, the target, the target of rich, but if you just stop for a second and look at the world we live in, stop listening to the culture that puts the golden carrot in front of you that causes you to despise and desire at the same time. You stop that message and you stand and you look at where you fit into the global picture of wealth and what it means to be rich. Most of us, not all of us, most of us in this room are in the top 5%, some of us in the top 2%, the world's wealthiest people. Do we live like we're rich? Do we acknowledge that we actually are them? That these verses and all that God has to say about the rich and to the rich is not about and to them, According to the world we live in, it's to us, it's to me, it's to you. And what do you do with that? It's hard for us to grasp, right? Because you look at your financial situation, you're like, I don't think you get it. Like, balancing the budget for me is carrying a zero. I'm not quite exactly sure you understand, like, I've learned to love ramen noodles, and they've become part of me, <laughs> and I believe Kool-Aid is from God, and it, you know... <laughs> I get it. Like, I totally get it. Like, you look at our culture, and you're absolutely right. The message you're going to receive from our culture and, and, the, and, the, and the land kind of that you live in says, you're not rich. You're not rich. That it's just that much further out there. But listen, if today, when you got up, if today you woke up inside of a house, whether it's an apartment that you rent, a condo that you live in, a house that you live in, if there was a roof over your head and the windows actually had glass on them and the door could actually close and lock, you're in the top 5% of the world. You're already there. When you woke up this morning, you were already there. If you walked into your closet like I did this morning and you had options, so many options, in fact, that it crippled you a little bit. My wife calls this a fashion crisis. I have them often. I'll walk into my, my closet and be like, gray jeans, that go with this? And I'm like, really, honestly, I've given like 5, 10, maybe 45 minutes of my day Who's counting? But it's difficult to say who's counting. To choosing which clothes, because I have five pair of jeans to choose from, two of which I look really good, and the other three are optional. <laughs> I'll let you figure out which ones these are. Okay, if that was you this morning, if you were able to choose, you're within that top 5%. You're rich. If you bought coffee today, if you had the luxury of purchasing coffee at some point today, you're rich. I've spent $5 on coffee today. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is barely getting by making my coffee for me, harvesting the beans that I dropped $5 on. They don't see those $5. But I'm rich, so I can afford to do that. If you walked out this morning and got into a car or a motorcycle or a scooter or whatever it is that you drive, uh, you're rich. You're rich. You're within that. There's, you are in the top minority 
of wealth in the world, the fact that you have an automobile that works. Now, you may hate it, and I despise the old 96er. I can't stand her. We're in a bad spot in our relationship. I don't do well with the Honda 96 Accord. Like, I'm trying to love her. I'm grateful for her. We've had her for like 11, 12 years now. But like, her brakes at best are temperamental, indecisive. Like, I have to really, I have to coax her into stopping when it comes time to stop. It's not a great car, but I have a car. If you went and worked and you had a job till you went to work, you're rich. You earned a decent wage. You may not consider it decent. You may not enjoy the work. But you're rich. You're rich. If you were able to go out to eat tonight or at any point this week, you've got to go out to a restaurant and pay for food. You had all these choices of food that you can eat, and you could have it done any way you like, and you can actually you know, get rid of the fries for vegetables because that's a healthier choice. And so you have those options. You paid money for that food. You're rich. I'm rich. And I'm unaware of it. And I certainly don't live like I am. Because I keep moving the target and saying, yeah, 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 but this isn't for me, this is for them. Because I'm not rich, I, so I'm not falling into those categories. But in the world we live in, I am rich. I am. And in a unique season that our country is in, where people are losing their ever-loving minds over the economy, you are rich. And you have something to say. You have something to say in a world that's gone crazy and is living in fear and panic and reaction and sensation and hype. You have something to say as a rich person in this world. See, when I told you a little bit ago that, that, you, that you're rich, did it feel like the uh, publisher's clearinghouse moment, you know, where I came to your door with the check? Didn't feel that way, did it? It doesn't, like, that would feel really good. I'd be excited about that, you know, I'd play to the camera, I'd give him some show, I'd give him a show, I'd give him a good time, you know, <laughs> I would, I know how important that is, I would, but hearing in this room that despite all your complaints and all the things you want to change about your life and how every one of us thinks that if we had just a little bit more, then we'd be happy, despite all of that, to hear the fact that you're rich, that you already are rich, the place where I jump to in that is not a feeling of gratitude, but it's a feeling of guilt. Is that you? Like, I hear that and I go, shoot. What? Well, great, I'm rich now. What am I supposed to do with that? I don't feel rich. It doesn't feel, I, it doesn't feel rich. The target still feels like it's out there for me. But what, what am I supposed to do? What does that mean? And honestly, isn't it amazing? It settles in in a second when you hear that. You feel guilty. Like you're supposed to be doing something that maybe there's, some words for you or challenge for you that you're missing or have skipped over. And while guilt is an understandable, instant human reaction, honestly, guilt is based in fear and shame. And God doesn't live there. God doesn't live there. The invitation throughout the scriptures when you realize just how rich you are is not guilt, but it's what? It's gratitude. It's gratitude to say, oh my gosh, God, I've spent most of my time complaining about my circumstances, how much I hate this apartment, I hate my roommates, 
how much the service of that restaurant sucked. I'm never going there. They don't even have free Wi-Fi at that coffee shop. Why would I waste my time there? My car stinks. I just wouldn't even get a, it doesn't even, God, the gas prices. It's just all the things we complain about, right? Do you know what they are? Those are, those are rich people problems. They're rich people problems. And God's saying, look, you're rich, and I've blessed you. And the response shouldn't be guilt, because that's based in fear and shame. The response is gratitude. Thank you, God. I have a car. Thank you, God. I have a roof. Thank you, God. I have a washer and dryer. Thank you, God. I have clothes. I have options. Thank you, God. I'm able to enjoy meals or coffee with friends. Thank you, God. You have blessed me. I am rich. And the invitation throughout Scripture is not to go to a place of guilt, but to a place of gratitude. Saying, thank you, God. Because I consider the rich, as I think about the rich, God, that's me. And I don't understand how it all works in God's economy. I don't understand how all that plays out. I just know, God, I've been blessed. And I want to respond by saying, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. You look throughout the Psalms over and over and over and over again. What do you see David saying? I will praise you, God. I will thank you, God. God, despite my circumstances literally falling to hell around me, I will thank you, God. The economy is falling apart around me. I will still thank you, God. I'm unsure about my future. I'm unsure about my job. I will thank you, God, because I'm rich, and you, God, have blessed me. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights, shining down his favor on his children. And he, it says, doesn't shift or change like the economy, like jobs, like housing markets. He doesn't shift or change. He is good. And if you are living in this country, and probably most of us in this room, you are rich. And the right response out of that is gratitude. Gratitude. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. And with that, responsibility. There is a sense of responsibility. The scripture is very clear about that. I want to read to you a verse that David read a couple weeks ago and that we're really going to kind of use to frame this week and next week. It comes out of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. And this kind of has new meaning now because a lot of these verses, if not all of them, are recontextualized now that we're all rich. And that's really good news. Like, you can go home, like, with your roommate or whoever you see, you're going home and say, like, well, what happened to your church thing tonight? Like, I found out that I'm rich. I'm totally rich. And like, sweet, hook me up. You're like, dude, still the same situation. <laughs> like, just different context. Just different context. I'm rich. And God has something to say to me because of that. This is 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. This is coming out of the message translation. So this is Paul talking to Timothy, and he says these words. Tell those who are rich... In this world's wealth, now just to stop real quick, who's rich in this world's wealth in this room? Who? You, 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 me. We are rich. Top five, top two percent. We're rich. Paul says to Timothy, look, tell those, tell all the people gathered at Charlotte One to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money because that's where our culture is. It is obsessed with money. Because money's here today and gone tomorrow, right? We've all seen that happen over the last couple weeks. It literally is here today and then gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God. Go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good 
be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. What a wonderful phrase. And if they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. Paul tells Timothy, look, you tell those people who are rich, and according to what we, the world we live in, that's us. You tell them, don't be so full of yourself and your dreams about if I only had, if I only had, then I would be. If I only had, then I would be. You already are. You're rich. You've been blessed by God. And so stop worrying about that stuff and start thanking God who piles on more than you could possibly ever imagine or manage in this lifetime if you were to stop and see it through eyes of gratitude. And this is what we're going to talk about next week as we consider not the rich, but the poor. He says, now do good. Be rich in helping others and be extravagantly generous. And if you do that, you don't have to worry about 401ks. If you do that, you don't have to worry about savings accounts and banks falling apart. If you do that, you are building up a treasury in heaven. You are investing in the kingdom of God, which will never fail, which will never run short, which will never crash, which will never need to be bought out. You invest in, you invest the wealth, the riches that you have, that God has graciously given to you, that you are grateful for. You can actually be responsible and do something with that in this world. We're going to talk all about that next week. I would love for you to come back as we kind of explore as a bunch of rich people what we do with that as we consider the poor and what it means to be poor in our world and why that is so close to the heartbeat of God and the lifestyle of Jesus. That's what we're going to look at next week. But this week, I think it's enough for us just to stop and be grateful. That's just, there's just enough in that tonight to be grateful and to admit that you're already rich. You already are. And so I'm going to ask us to pray in maybe a different way for you, but I'm going to ask you to do something that's you know, maybe a little risky for some of you. We're going to take a posture of prayer. We're going to literally use our bodies to say something to God. And if you would, I would ask that you would kind of get rid of anything that might be in the way or distracting you, and that you would open your hands up to God. Open it up like this. It's just a way of saying, like, look, I already know, God, that I'm already rich, and that it all comes from you. And so I'm literally going to posture myself like this. And I'm going to ask you as we pray here in a second, to say out loud to God, God, thank you for the fact that I'm already rich. Just name it. God, I'm grateful that I'm already rich. It may not feel that way, but that's the reality of the world I live in. And that you have something to say to me, God. You have challenge and encouragement to me. I want to hear that and receive that, God, because I am rich. You have made me rich. And here's what I'd ask you to do with your hands open. I'm going to ask you out loud to just walk through things in your life that you want to say thank you, God, for. Possessions, stuff that you may have, like, you know, dissed earlier today that you may have, like, been so frustrated with. Maybe you should stop and from perspective of gratitude say, God, thank you that I even have that car. Thank you that I even have that job. And I want you to very specifically walk through in the short time we have as much as you can. Out loud, say them to God. God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. God, thank you for this. So I'm just going to pray for us, get us kind of started, and then you take it from there. And I really would ask that you say it out loud, to hear yourself say, God, thank you. I'm rich, and you've blessed me. And thank you for this. And God, that's my 
That's my heart. That's my desire, God. I don't want to speak a word past where I'm willing to live. I am rich. That's not a category, God, for someone else. It's me. And instead of feeling guilty about that, and instead of like, what am I supposed to do with that and freaking out about that? God, I just, I know where to start, and that's just gratitude. I have so much to thank you for. And the message I have, God, that I want to give to the world is that I am rich, and I am grateful because you are good, God. You are good. Open our hearts to the reality, God, tonight of how rich we are and break our hearts, God, for what it means to really love and care for the poor among us. I thank you for leading us this way. Hear these prayers right now, God, as we just name to you, just in a small way, your children calling out to you, just being very specific about what they're grateful to you for and the many, many ways that you've blessed us. And God, we, this is just a moment. We're going to spend heaven, eternity, telling you this in an intimate and personal way. But until that moment, God, we give you this moment where we say to you out of grateful hearts, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So why don't you go ahead and just start saying that right now. Just the things you want to thank out loud, God, for in your life right now.